Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Anything where you're, you're reinforcing what Jesus did, man, that's worship right there, right? Worship isn't about coming to God and saying, oh, my Lord, I just realized that I sinned last week. I wonder if you're going to forgive me for that. You know what? He already forgave you. You realize that? Everything. Every, say everything. everything. He's already forgiven you. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? Good. Kind of makes you want to protect that relationship, doesn't it? Man, praise God. I, I think in freedom, you end up actually doing more. You know, religion makes you feel like that you're not doing enough. But when you realize that you're free, it's like you, you don't have that trepidation approaching God. You don't have that worry if he's just going to, if you, there's that, that one thing, that one unconfessed thing that you're not quite aware of. That's what's keeping God from withholding your blood. That's... He's holding it back from you. You know, you just never, you just kind of always in this place of, gosh, I wonder if he really is fully happy with me. I wonder if he fully accepts me. Have you ever felt like that? You know, that's the product of religion, and that's garbage. We should question God's favor toward us about as much as we question if our parents are really our parents. Now, I know some of y'all, anyway. You know what I mean? You're in the family. It's a family thing. You know, we don't want people walking through these doors and being beat up because of the mistakes that they've made. You know, that, that's kind of like somebody going to the hospital and the doctor getting angry at that person for being sick. It makes no sense. That's what church is. More than anything, church is a family and a hospital. And, you know, I'm telling you, this tide is turning. There's, we've got... Bunch of y'all really getting established in this gospel, understanding the love of God for yourself. And as you share these stories and as this message continues to grow, it's not that we've got it all figured out. It's not like we're the perfect church and all the other ones are wrong. We all have Jesus. We're just focusing on the gospel. We're focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection and who you are in him. Amen? You know, it's like I see this as a seed those of you that have said yes to Jesus, he's planted a seed within you. He's planted his kingdom within you. And what we get to do is nurture that and encourage that and watch it grow and help you discover how to yield to that. That's the process of transformation. Not you doing a bunch of stuff externally and getting your life cleaned up and then all of a sudden you're a better Christian now. You know that, right? Now, your friends and family might not know that. They're still one foot in the old covenant thinking that my behavior changes how God relates to me. It does not. Amen? Amen? Now, does that mean you should run out and sin? Why would you want to? So I've just got a couple of passages here today, and I wanted to talk about Isaiah. You can flip to Isaiah 52. We'll get over there in just a minute. You know, Isaiah was written... I don't know, 700 years or so before Jesus. Isaiah was a prophet. And Isaiah was prophesying mostly to 
uh, an unbelieving nation of Israel. This was after the split. You know, you had Saul, David, Solomon, and then under Solomon, Rehoboam, which was one of his sons. That was the early kingdom. Well, it didn't take very long for the family to split. So Isaiah is mostly prophesying to Israel, and they'd been in captivity probably a couple of hundred years by this time. You know, they were in captivity under the Assyrian, it calls it. Uh, so just to paint the picture, imagine having been a slave for 200 years under oppression, and then some man of God rolls in town and starts telling you that you should expect God to make your life better. It's like, wait a minute. Slavery? I've been in bondage. Now, think about this. How does this relate to you? See, because the word can be offensive. The promise of God can be offensive. If you struggle with finances and you see in the word that part of the word salvation means God wants you blessed and prospered, I'm not talking about so you can drive your Bugatti up your golden driveway into your 15,000 square foot mansion. I'm talking about just God wants to meet your needs according to his riches. That's what I'm, I'm not talking about materialism. I'm not talking about you get your Cadillac. That used to be funny. What is it? What cars do you guys want? I want a Bugatti. Yeah. I'm not going to manipulate. I'll just straight up say it. Don't worry, we're not going to take up a special offering so Pastor gets a Bugatti. Don't worry about that. But he's prophesying to a group of people that are not experiencing the influence of God in their nation. They had turned from him. They, got, they were where they had led themselves. They were in a place that their unbelieving hearts had gotten themselves to. If they had followed God, they'd, followed, they'd stayed in that promised land, and they wouldn't have experienced what they'd experienced, I personally believe. So how does it relate to us now? You know, some people think that all those Old Testament stories are just metaphors for current time. It happened. And for these guys, imagine a couple hundred years of, of old, old prophecies never coming to pass. And then some guy comes in town and starts telling you, hey, you remember that old stuff that you used to believe about God? Remember that God that led you out of Egypt? Remember that God that provided miraculously for 40 years? Remember, remember all, of the, all of the promises that, you, that were given to Abraham that should have come to pass through you guys? Well, it's still coming. It's still coming. And this is what this God says. It was like he just needed people to constantly stay in belief toward him so he could get the Messiah in the earth. But don't grow weary trusting God. You're not waiting 200 years. Jesus is here. Amen? He has brought the kingdom near to you, and he's put his kingdom within you. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they all prophesy very, very similar things. There's three things that the three of them always would say, or there's four, they would say that there's coming a time when God will make you clean. He will, you know, in different ways they'll say it. He'll sprinkle you. He'll give you fresh water. Basically, he'll make you a clean nation. Now, they knew that they weren't clean because they'd gone after foreign gods and all of that stuff. He'll make you clean. Another one, all three of those guys would say, he'll give you a new heart. Now, we've got a series. Uh, if you don't if you don't see it on the podcast, 
send us an email, info at forwardchurch.net. We'll, we'll send you a link back because the heart is a big part of what we study here for the purpose of knowing this, that you are connected inwardly with the Spirit of God. And He influences your heart, which is where you believe from, to change your beliefs. Because when you believe, all things are possible. Amen? So one of the promises of the new covenant, and uh, Jeremiah ties these three teachings or three points to the fact that there's a new covenant coming. There's, it's not like the old covenant. It's a new covenant that he will uphold himself. So part of it is I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you, I will make you new. The New Testament says it this way. We become new creations. Colossians talks about how there's a circumcision that happens to us where the old heart, the old you, the old man, the dead man is taken out and a new heart, a new you is placed within. And in that heart are God's ways, God's laws, His commandments, His logic. It knows how to follow God. No longer after this new covenant, this new heart, and then the Spirit being put in you, which was a third point that they would all teach, no longer are you regulated to following God through laws that are written outwardly. Oh, God said do that. I got to do that. If I do that, then I'll be blessed. No, because you are changed at the core of what kind of creature and being that you are, he also puts in there the knowledge to naturally know how to follow him. Amen. You know how to follow God because you have a new heart. You just don't know sometimes how to turn to that inward logic and knowledge that God's put within you and let Him draw wisdom out of that and show you what to do in your life. And that's what this is all about. This is all the church is for a believer is an exercise in mind renewal so that you will remember and you will discover what has already happened to you through Christ. Amen? You're not coming here and trying to earn cookies for heaven. Cookies for heaven. That's a, write that down. <laughs> you know, you're not coming here because you owe it to God to show up at church on Sunday. I hope. You know, I hope that you come here to be strengthened and reminded and encouraged and so that you leave fully aware of Jesus and His finished work and the presence of God in your life leading you to love others. Amen? So... He'll make you clean, give you a new heart, which means make you a totally different kind of person, totally different kind of being, like the world had never seen before. I'm getting some theme music here with this. <laughs> the third one is I'll put my spirit in you. God calling. Preach it. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> His spirit in you, and he'll no longer hold your sins or trespasses against you, or it's said in a different way, I'll remember your sins no more. I'll make you clean. I'll recreate you. I'll put my spirit in you, and I will not hold your wrongs against you. 
Those are the four main things that the Old Testament prophets would prophesy and promise about this coming new covenant and this coming relationship that we would have with God. And it's 700 years before Jesus comes into the earth and brings that about. But, G, but watch this. We're going to read through Isaiah 52, some of 52, and then in 53. Because what this church is about is the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If the gospel doesn't do it for you, we don't have anything else to offer. We don't have a class that you can take that's going to make it work for you. We don't have some other minister that's going to explain it to you in such a way that you're finally going to get it. You know, we don't, we don't have a program for you to plug into to get you to become the kind of Christian that you're supposed to be. We've got the gospel. Amen. You've got the gospel. I talk to people. People are at very varying degrees in their walk with God, and they think, well, once I know this, then I'll do this. It's like, do you know Jesus? Then do it now. As far as reaching out and ministering to other people. Now, if you're going to go deep in things and counseling, you need some training. But you can share the gospel. You can tell people who God really is. And when you do, I'm telling you, it is powerful. It is powerful to use the model and the example of Jesus to show people this is what God is really like. And it transforms, does it not? It's so simple. It's just so simple, it's overlooked. It's so simple that a lot of places are like, yeah, we, you know, we know that cross stuff. We're going on to the higher stuff. Well, what is higher? Because that's where the fruit comes from. Everything, all the power comes from Christ within. How confident are you that Christ actually lives within you? The essence of his spirit, his life force, the same life that animates Jesus is flowing through you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He who has the Son has the life. Amen. It's the picture that he tried to paint over and over and over and over and over again. And one of my favorite examples is in Psalm 1 where he talks about this tree that's planted by a stream of water. And because that tree is by a life source, that its leaf doesn't wither, uh, it produces fruit, and anything that it puts its hand to prospers. He likens the man that meditates in God's ways to a tree that's planted by a stream of water. And the promise is anything that you put your hand to, because you have the spirit of the living God dwelling within you, shall prosper. And I'm not talking about money and cars. I'm talking about life. Mostly righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen? But watch what, watch what Isaiah does here. And this is the message. This is the, I mean, this is just what he brings. Isaiah 52, 3. For thus says the Lord, you were so, now he's talking to Israel. You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. I mean, just think about this. Let this be a meditative exercise for just a minute, okay? Should we bring out the pillows? <laughs> what I mean by meditative exercise is don't just listen. Listen and think about it. Listen and see yourself in this promise. Because ultimately what Isaiah is talking about, yes, he's talking about 
to people that existed a couple thousand years ago. But this promise is for anyone that will believe on the Messiah. All God's promises are yes and amen. 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 And amen. You shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them. For people are taken away, or for people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers, did I skip a line? All right. And the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers well, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Now think about this. Why would he say that? God's name was despised because over and over and over they keep getting themselves into captivity. They've heard these promises. They've heard about this God. They've seen the God in the past work through their ancestors, but his name is despised. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of homes in your neighborhood where the name of God is despised because of people's belief in not the true character of God, but in circumstantial theology. You realize people, you know, there's systematic theology, there's a biblical theology, there's all different kind of things that you can apply of how to interpret the Bible. Most people believe circumstantial theology. This happened to me, therefore this is what it means. That's incredibly prideful. What we have to do is learn how to humble ourselves, lay aside our opinions, take the Word of God, and believe what it says in spite of our experiences. Amen? It's, that's true humility. Not to feel dirty about yourself and, oh, God, I'm wrong. But to say, you know what? I'm not thinking clearly here. I'm like an addict addicted to the world that doesn't get it. I need to renew my mind according to truth. And a big part of that is changing how you see God. So... His name is despised. Verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Now, the, the, the word name isn't just Jehovah God. You know what I mean? Like his, his first name and last name. It's his character. When you see the word name, it has to do with his authority, his strength, his will, the character of who he is. What he's saying is these people are going to know me, and to know me is to experience me. To know me is to be part of my family. So I think we're just going to actually camp on this for the next couple of weeks. We'll go back into even next week, look at Colossians and Isaiah 54, but let's, let's keep going here. They'll know my name, therefore in that day, say, I'm in that day. They shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. And then this is a word for us, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains... I'll read it from this one. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I want that to be said of you. You got some pretty feet. You bring us some good news. Freedom inspires responsibility. It should. To a heart that gets the character of God to a heart that understands the indwelling Spirit of God is our strength and is our power and understands that you are clean because of what Jesus did, 
understands that the only thing that's going to work for people is bringing them the good news. I don't mean a weak, empty promise. I mean the good news that God is not holding your sin against you. And being able to confidently say that. A lot of times we say that and we're like, ooh, I wonder if they're going to come at me with some kind of theology that makes me doubt what I believe. No. Be confident in the gospel. That's what people out there need to see. You confidently believing in the character of God. Amen? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Trust God because he's faithful. Do you believe that you can tell other people to trust God because he's faithful and mean it? Or, or do you have kind of a back door yourself and it's like, Ooh, I'm telling people to trust God, but you know, I'm not sure that because of what happened to me last time. You know what I mean? Is that making sense to you? I think it's one of the reasons why we're not more bold in our beliefs because we have all these doubts in the back of our mind because of what we've been through. Let all of that stuff be replaced by who God is, the character of God. You're representing Him. You're not having to dig into people's past and make sense of what happened to them. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Amen. Now, there's a time and a place for counseling and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But you, you replace it with truth. Let's skip over to Isaiah 53. And this is, this is part of that. I just want you to see yourself in this. I want you to see this as a promise for you. There's an exchange that's happening in what is about to be described here that is personal for you. This is Jesus, what he went through for you. This is an explanation of what happens, what happened when Jesus went to that cross passed through that grave, rose again, and offers to you the free gift of righteousness through his blood. 700 years before, he paints such a beautiful picture. This is your homework. You guys want some homework? I haven't actually given homework in a while. Isaiah 53, read it every day this week and take it personal. Will you do that? Who has believed what he has heard from us? Remember, he's telling them, I realize you're in captivity because of what's going on in your life. The name of God is despised among you, but there's good news coming. And he, there's a little bit more in Isaiah 52 there, but then he says, are you going to believe it? I think that's the challenge to us. Here's the promise. Are you going to believe it? Do you really believe that all things are possible to those who believe? 1 John says, a heart that's not condemned, but, it, but that is confident toward God, receives everything that it asks for. Amen. That's offensive. 1 John chapter 3, a heart that is not condemned is confident toward God and receives everything it asks for. That's just the Bible. Then it says, if you keep my commandments... Then he says, oh, but by the way, here's the commandments. Believe on the authority and the character of God and love people. All right. So will you believe this? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Talking about Jesus now, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant. I don't know, it's such a good illustration of understanding how we are plugged into God's kingdom. It's like we're planted in the soil of God and we're nourished by his presence. Even Jesus he refers to like this. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was a man, is what it's referring to. Wasn't anything special about him outwardly. You could look at him in a crowd back then, and, and other than the Spirit of God bearing witness that that's who he is, you wouldn't pick him out. He was a man and always tempted like we are, yet without sin. This is so powerful. So, for he grew, so verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, remember, he's talking, about, he's talking to the group of people that would reject him. So this is what he's describing. This is how Israel, bondage, in bondage, is going to see Jesus when he comes. But then he starts describing what happened in this exchange. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Are there, are there any sorrows that you're carrying? Are you grieving? There are people that have lost loved ones, the whole family, their whole life is changed. He carries your grief. Do you see that? I don't want to just preach at you. I could get up here and make you laugh and just preach, but I, I want this to be personal for you. You have to personalize the cross. Amen? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, which is another word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquity. That thing that was in you that made you just rebellious toward God, he crushed that. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The chastisement, the punishment needful for you to have peace with God was on Jesus. Say, I have peace Amen. with God because I'm in Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, we talk about this a lot in here, but under the Old Testament, and these guys would know this, under the old Levitical priesthood, you would bring your sacrifice to the priest, and, and what would he do? He'd look at the sacrifice. He knew that you couldn't pay the penalty for whatever sin or whatever it was that you were bringing this offering for. He looked and examined the sacrifice to see if the sacrifice was worthy. And if the sacrifice was worthy you were forgiven. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is worthy of all of your sin, not to just cover it, but to remove it so that God no longer relates to you based on that. Does that mean it's okay to stay in it? No. 
it, it, it compels us to protect that, what he's given us. So, verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. I mean, 700 years. You know, there's a, and we might just send it out by email. I know that Courtney's doing it with the youth group right now. They're looking at different religions and why Christianity is true and some of the things that they're, look, that they're looking at. And I know that, that uh, Sarah and Lauren did this in Kids Church recently. They went and they looked at, was it all the prophecies? How many prophecies did y'all look at? Yeah, 456. <laughs> but there's like seven main prophecies about Jesus that just for those to line up is a statistical impossibility. 700 years, they're talking about Jesus having been buried in a borrowed tomb of a rich man. That happened. And, and you hear people that try to contradict the historical accuracy of Jesus and that he, they arranged all these things to match these prophecies. Well, how do you arrange where you're born? I mean, just starting from there. Verse 10, yet it was the will of God to crush him. Why? For you, so that you wouldn't have to be crushed under the judgment of God. Again, when you do this this week, when you read through these passages, see yourself in this. Is this, touch, is this meaning something to you? He, was put, he, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Now, this is deeply personal. How many of you are carrying guilt? Don't, you don't even have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But you have guilt from something. His soul was an offering for guilt. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, that turmoil in there, that shame, that, that thinking, oh, gosh, I should be further along now in life than I thought I would be because I just have this, oh, it's just eating away at me, this guilt. I'm telling you, people carry incredible guilt. You have to have a personal experience with the understanding that the soul of Jesus became guilty on your behalf. See, God made him to become sin for you. One like Jesus was just up there quoting Scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was recognizing what was happening. He was forsaken. So you wouldn't be forsaken if you're in him. Amen. If you have guilt in your heart and in your soul that you're carrying around for something, take, this process, take some time and go through this process of understanding Jesus became whatever it is that is separating me from experiencing God's love in this moment. I'm going to roll that over onto him, just like under the old covenant, you would roll your sin over onto the sacrifice. And just like now, because he is that living sacrifice, and it's alive and it's always present, you roll that guilt over from your soul into him. It's not fair that you get to do that. It's not, you know, it's not anything to do with you getting to a place where you can then do that. It's, he's making it available. He's just, he's just waiting. Give it to me. Give it to me. 
I will make you clean with my word. I will make you clean with my spirit. I will wash that guilt and shame out of you so that you will bear fruit, the fruit of his spirit living within you. An offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Say righteous. Righteous. Say, I am righteous righteous. because Jesus bore my iniquity. I am righteous righteous. because of Jesus. Jesus. You believe that? Righteousness is given to you. And it's not like Abraham, where Abraham believed and God said, I'm going to credit righteousness to your account. You've been changed into an actual righteous creature. That's your nature. Created in the image and likeness of God, righteous and truly holy. Because of what he did. But now, see, if you have your righteousness tied to performance... You can't give Jesus full credit for your righteousness. You think that your righteousness is still somehow attached to your behavior. That's self-righteousness. If you're feeling guilty, thinking that you're not enough to be accepted by God, you're self-righteous. If you think your past disqualifies you from God moving in your life, you're self-righteous. And the church is really good at that part. Man, we can look at people. It's like this. I was, had lunch with a, a guy. He's a preacher, and he's telling me about a story. He was down in, down in uh, Brownsville at some revival thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know much about it. But he said that he was up in the top balcony, and his buddy was with him and convinced them to go down to the altar because it's like they just needed some kind of repentance. He was like, I think I'm pretty good. And the guy convinced him to come down, so they went down to the altar about halfway down, They're approaching the altar, and the preacher calls out, and if you're struggling with homosexuality, and you're gay in here with your partner, come on down to the front. And the guy was like, the guy's like, they said that, and he's like, wait a minute, we're not gay, we're not gay, we're not gay. It's like, I'll come down for repentance for whatever it is that I did in my past, but at least I'm not that. You hear me? That's what the church does. It's like, yeah, I got some problems, but at least I don't have your problems. Your sin's bigger than my sin. Yeah, I know that I've been a Christian for 25 years, and you just got saved yesterday, and I quit smoking pot 25 years ago, and you're still smoking pot. I'm better than you somehow. Really? I don't think so. You old self-righteous thing. Man, we have misrepresented God because of our self-righteousness. Does that mean sin's okay? No. Stop it. It's killing you. It's hardening your heart and desensitizing you from the leading of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Stop it. There's grace for it. Amen? Amen. But is God holding it against you? Does he need you to carry a sense of guilt 
and come down to the altar and convince him how sorry you are for what you just realized was sin, but he'd been loving you through anyway, that's not repentance. Repentance is, oh my goodness, you mean I could have been living guilt-free my entire Christian life? You mean there's grace that empowers me past this sin that I keep struggling with? Oh my goodness, I, I got to figure out how to change the way that I think because I want that working in my life. That's repentance. We don't have much of an altar, so don't be coming down here trying to convince God how sorry you are. He's going to say, hey, Jesus carried your guilt. Now, I realize, yes, when you recognize, and Austin and I were talking about this, and he said it beautifully. He, you know, he, I can't remember the words you said, but it just, it, you know, it rung, it stuck with me. That, of course, when somebody gets saved, they recognize, oh, my goodness, I, I don't want this in my, there, there is a sorrow there. There, there, is a, there is a feeling of, it's, oh, man, I can't believe I was living this way. It could have been so much better. You, of course, there's a sorrow there, but it's not that sorrow that you have to convince God that you're feeling that then he says, okay, because you recognize you're a dirty, worthless, scum, sinner bag, now I'm going to forgive you. No, forgiveness is in the blood of Jesus, not your emotions. Man, I'm telling you, you guys can set some people free, representing the true character of who God is, knowing what he did through Jesus. Amen? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Say, I am the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. People have trouble with seeing Jesus having become sin. But it says right here, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was counted a sinner because he had become the sin of the world. He had become the sin offering for the entire world. Forgiveness for the entire world's sin was manifest in Jesus and when he was executed and passed through that grave, God is no longer holding sin against Amen. us. Amen. That's the gospel. Does that mean you should stay in sin? No. That means everybody's forgiven, but not everybody's made righteous. You have to say yes to that and receive that gift of Christ to be made righteous. Some people kind of say, well, forgiveness equals righteousness. No, it doesn't. Righteousness comes one way, and that is by faith in what Christ did, and then you are indwelt by that Spirit. There's a big difference. You're forgiven, but you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that righteousness. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Romans 1.15, let's flip over here, just because I want to read this. It's just so powerful. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just throwing the gauntlet down. This, this body has taken shape, and we're representing the gospel. Amen. We absolutely believe that all of the stuff that the body of Christ should be doing should manifest through this. But, we, you know, I don't need you to come into here and figure out what my vision is. 
I don't need you to come in here and wait for us to craft a program for you. Come in here, believe the gospel. If there's an area where you want to serve that resonates with what you feel like you're called into, plug into that. But preach the gospel. Represent the gospel to your friends and family. Amen? And come in here, touch base, we'll encourage you. But go out there and love people. Bring them here, we'll give them the gospel. Romans 1.15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Jew first and to the Greek. Because they were questioning if the Greeks could be saved. There's still a section of people now that say that those people can't be saved. God's already predetermined that not everybody can be saved. Those people were born to go to hell. I, I think that's pretty disturbed, in my opinion. For in the righteous, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I want to, I want to kind of check something here. Say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Now, where do your thoughts go? Do you have a system of theology that's overlaid onto that thinking, that's combating that statement? Do you, are you remembering what you did last week? Say it again. Say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. What's going on? Are you even aware? You know what I'm saying? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's say it one more time. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What's going on? How do you feel? Where do your thoughts go? Your heart will reveal to you just what you believe and don't believe. So if you feel guilt, if you feel shame, if you have something else coming up other than Jesus was my sacrifice for righteousness, just take a moment. Jesus. See him on that cross. He became my sin. He became my guilt. He became my shame. God took my sin from me and put it into Jesus. Jesus literally became the old me. God cut him off because he took from me my darkness and put it in Jesus. Jesus is my sacrifice, my sin offering. Jesus is my acceptance before the Father. Now say it again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the truth. Take the truth and influence your heart with it. It will produce transformation. And that grace, what you're doing is you're teaching yourself to lean on a grace, a logic that contradicts your thoughts, a truth that might negate your ideas, but a power 
And this grace will teach you to live godly. This grace will teach you to know the truth of God and hear it. And it will compel you to take this gospel to people. Anytime you run across a truth in Scripture, I am or the in him scriptures, take those and wash your mind and your heart with the truth of who you are in him. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the cleansing power of your presence within us. Any area where we don't believe the truth about what you have done on our behalf, we repent from those things. We don't want our identity defined by this world and what we've done in this world. We want our identity defined by Jesus, what you did for us. Because we are committed to loving one another. We are committed to going into this world and carrying your gospel. We are committed to going into this world and telling people the true character of God, that there's peace with him through Jesus. God is a loving father that is not holding your trespasses against you. Now be reconciled to him by receiving that righteousness in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.